and there was a boy from my past and we sat at the dining room table and he told me that my father sexually abused him. This episode contains discussions of graphic sex, molestation, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really? The how, the what, the when, the where, and the why. Today, my guest is Melody. Now, Melody, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My father is a pedophile. Whoa, that was intense. The way you even said that. I don't, I, I, I don't even know what to say. How, how difficult for you to even say that out loud. Did that take a long time to actually say out loud? Yes, it took a long time to say out loud. Now I say it in public too, but that took a long, long time. Wow. Okay, let's go back. Take me back. Take me back to your childhood or where wherever you want to start, because this is a conversation I've never had before. So I'm a little like starting to sweat. I have to be honest, like I'm sweating a little. So what, wh- how, what, when, where, and why? Yeah. So let's go back to uh, my childhood where uh, my my father was a tyrant, right? The biggest bully in my life. He was an alcoholic. Oh. He doesn't have a diagnosis as far as I know, but he's either narcissistic or I don't know. He's something, right? Right, right. Um, he used to be incredibly cruel. Mm-hmm. Um, so just going to trigger warning for people. There's some really rough, you know, rough stuff. But I'm gonna Don't worry. Told. There will be trigger warnings all over this episode. Don't you worry. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> my father used to... He bought me a kitten and then uh, my kitten, my kitten had cat kittens uh-huh. and then he, he killed those kittens in front of me. What? Um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Oh my God. What do you yes. mean? How did yeah. he do that in front of you? Well, I, we were, I lived on a farm and so the cats used to have the kittens in the barn. And so when they were ready to bring them out and I remember my, my cat brought these kittens out. Of course they're wild, right? So you need to be really patient and work really hard mm-hmm. to get them to trust you. So you can pick them up and cuddle them. And my little seven-year-old brain thought that we were now this big, beautiful, happy family. And we were going to live together forever. And, you know, me and my, me and my cat was pickles. Cause I love pickles. Me and pickles were going to like, you know, raise these kittens and we were going to, and so I worked so hard to get them to, be tame and right and then I finally succeeded my father put them in a sack and killed them oh my god how traumatizing it was incredibly traumatizing and so that's just a a sample of what my childhood was like wow Um, everything um so you just grew up in an atmosphere of trauma and rage and 
abuse emotionally, physical? Was there physical abuse? So one of the things my father used to do was pin me down and tickle me. So he'd put his uh, knees on my on my upper arms, and then he'd tickle me until I until I was screaming and begging and like just you know pleading until I'd like lost all my dignity. Right. And then he'd tell me, "We're just playing. This is supposed to be fun." Like, aren't you ridiculous? Right? Oh my God, though- I'm just having a flash. I actually was tickled like that too. Yes, and right? it's and- like you feel so powerless and trapped and it's like an older man and you're like, this is not fun. And they are enjoying your powerlessness, I guess. I don't know. What is that? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Oh my God. I'm getting uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay. No, this is good. It's me and you talking. And this is like hitting me in a way where I've been through not the same, but like that to me was a moment where as a young girl, I knew like people could overpower me and me saying no and stop didn't mean anything to them. No. In fact, not only did no and stop not help, I had to say certain words and I had to say them clearly, even though I was screaming and crying. And so I had to find some level of control within myself mm-hmm. uh, to say these words, uncle, or whatever it was, you know, that, that uncle. Yeah. Know. Uncle like stop. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 And, and, and then to be derided after that, to be ridiculed yeah. because you, you weren't enjoying it, even though he was right. Yeah. Um, that was, it was brutal. Yeah. And so this is, this is what I grew up in. So I was the rebel child. You know, I was the one who rebelled. And so as a teenager, can I ask I, how many brothers and sisters you have? I have one brother. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there was two um, of you. Okay. There's two of us. Yes. Um, so my, um, so I grew up, I was the absolute rebel. I was the troublemaker. I was, cause I was fighting for myself. And so now when I look back at it, mm-hmm. I realized that those times when I was speaking out, when I was doing things that were, I know now, incredibly inappropriate and unhelpful, in that context, they were appropriate responses. Like, well, not appropriate, but they were, you know, they, they made sense. That response made sense, even though it was unhelpful, even though I was labeled as bad, even though now I can see that that, that, was, that, that was, you know, part of how I was surviving and how yes, your instincts you were following your instincts and you were pushing against this person that was inappropriate and abusive and you were made to feel like you were the difficult one instead of no there's a fucking problem in the household and he used to call my teachers and say because my father's a teacher and he used to call my teachers and say i'm trying so hard oh just she's just impossible. And, you know, I love her so much and she just won't listen. And so my teachers used to come at me, your father really loves you and you're not putting in any effort. You know, people, right? right? You're such like, a liar. What a manipulator, total um, narcissist. Yeah. Narcissistic, manipulative. So this was my world. This is yeah. the world I grew up in. And then I was about 16 years old. My parents had separated. My mother didn't, I was too much trouble for my mother. So she sent me to live with my father. I mean, she knew who, what he was like, but she couldn't handle me. So right. she said, to live with my father. So I was living with Here's my, my question for that, though. Can I circle back with your mom? Was yes, there a yes. part of you trying to desperately explain to your mom in your adolescence when you didn't have the words like help 
this is, has happened. No one has seen me. No one has seen my, my, what has been done to me. Oh, my mother knew. Oh, my mother knew. And when she, when she originally walked out of my father, she took me with her. Right. But, in but then her, she sent you back. In her mind, that was it. That's what she'd done. But I was still, I was, I was broken in many ways. Yes. So I continued to, I continued to be depressed. I continued to act out. And she got so frustrated with me that she sent me back to my father. Because she probably didn't have the tools to know how to deal with a child that's been through trauma. That exactly. she stayed in the relationship too long and allowed our kids to be treated this way. And she didn't have the tools or the skills or even the patience. Yes. To help heal her own child. Yes. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Living with my father, mm-hmm. he's an alcoholic. Um, I, he, you know, he probably poured me my first drink at eight. Right. So here we are, you know, he'd give me shandies, which was in, in England. It's, you know, beer and ginger ale together. And so, you know, we used to, you know, I could drink or whatever I wanted. So this was my, this is, and I was, I was going downhill really, really fast. Yeah. Like, let's just the say, trauma, I'm, the drinking, alcoholism I'm, in your family, you know, all of it. Family, yeah. Recipe for disaster. Quit school at 15, mm-hmm. you know, tried to sell encyclopedias. It didn't work. <laughs> With like going around to people's houses and selling encyclopedias. I'm, oh my yeah. God. I was desperate. There's no job for a 15 year old who drops out of school. And there I was trying to escape in a way that was, you know, not running away, which I'd also tried. Right. I was trying to escape without trying to commit suicide, which I've also tried. So I tried all these ways of escaping that were helping. And so I I quit school and I got a job as an encyclopedia salesperson. Hey, you were just trying to survive, man. Like, I love that you were selling encyclopedias, though. That's hysterical. (laughs) The thing was, I wasn't selling any. I was the worst. I was 15. I looked 12. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, go get back to school, kid. You know? So I was 16 and I lived in this crazy world. And I was the, a huge, I was a rebel. You know, I was, I was spiraling downward quickly, drinking, you know, the whole bit. Yeah. And then I had an ominous invitation to my mother's house. When I got there, my mother was out in the yard mowing grass, uh, not willing to come in. And so I went in and there was a boy from my past, a couple okay. years older than me. And he, we sat at the dining room table and he told me that my father sexually abused him. <gasps> yeah. Wait, he, so did he show up and tell your mom and then she summoned you, a 16 a year old, to then get this news? I don't know exactly what happened before I arrived. I don't really know the why I was told, like, I don't really know that part of the story. I wasn't okay. there. Yeah. But what, you know, so, so I was told that my father sexually abused him, mm-hmm. that um, my, on the farm, my uncle had a trailer in the back. He wasn't a real uncle. He was my father's best friend. And he had a trailer in the back. So he used to come up and spend weekends all the time. And I love this man. He was like, he sat me on his lap. He gave me secret treats he you know we had all our secrets together wonderful secrets like wonderful secrets right he never harmed me that trailer was where all the boys were taken (gasps) all the boys that were invited to the farm were taken to that trailer and my uncle who wasn't my uncle and my uh, father sexually abused them there took photographs or whatever they were doing together Yeah, yeah, they were partners in crime. Yes. Wow. So I found out that my father, not only did he abuse me in all these ways, he also abused boys. Uh, sexually. Other, 
sexually. Yeah. Wow. And he had a partner in crime for it. And your mother was just not there. My mother was usually cooking or cleaning or doing something that moms back then did. Wow. Seeing all these young boys and not thinking or even wanting to know what was happening, probably. Yeah. And I I think mostly on the farm, it was the repeated boys, right? It was the boys who hung out at the farm. And so I don't, it wasn't that there were a bunch of different boys coming through all the time. It was, it was the boys that, that came. And I remember my looking back, I I know who the other abusers were because these two weren't the only ones I could, I could sit down and I could tell you who all the abusers were. And I think I could sit down and tell you who all the abused were too. Um, But again, you know, what, one thing I always say, and, and I'll, we can get into, you know, did I tell, because we can get into that in a minute. Yeah. But one thing I, one strong thing I learned was you don't tell other people's stories, victim stories, right? Like if they're not willing to step forward, yeah. then there's nothing, there's really nothing you can do, but just listen to them. And that's what happened with this, this young boy. I'm like, are you going to tell? And he was, no, he wanted nothing to do with that. He didn't want to tell the police. He didn't want to come forward. Uh, he just, he, he was telling me, but that was it. I wonder why he just wanted some other person to know. And then telling you like took it off him. I wonder why he just wanted to tell you and not actually go to the police. I'm sure he was telling his therapist and, and whatnot, but he, yeah, he, um, he didn't want to go to the police. And so I, I had so many mixed emotions. First, I felt, I felt like somehow I was lucky, even though all the abuse, like I had all these weird emotions. Like I was the survivor because I didn't get sexually abused and that I felt guilty because I didn't get sexually abused. And I felt ashamed because my father was a pedophile and I felt angry that this boy wasn't telling anyone. And I felt angry at my father. I like, there was so much emotion running through me. Yeah. And I think this is a really important piece of the story. If anyone's listening and their father is a pedophile or their mother or their brother or their uncle or their neighbor, or whomever, that there are all of these emotions that run through you and they're all really normal, right? Um, and it, it, you just, you know, you, you learn how to work through them a little bit at a time, right? The, at first, the intensity is so strong. All I could do after that was go for very fast, long walks. Like I just didn't know what else to do. I was going to hurt someone. I did actually consider hurting my father. I really did consider hurting my father. What was your thoughts on that? Can I ask? Like, what was the imagination that was going through your mind? That fantasy. The fantasy was that I could wipe him off the earth. That was Mm. the fantasy. That he was useless. He was, he, all he did was carve a path of destruction. He, you know, the world would be a better place. Well, I I can't say I don't agree with you at this moment. I would be doing the same thing. I'd be like, how can I poison him and then get rid of the body? (laughs) Like he doesn't need to be on this planet. Yes. No, I had this fantasy of um, him being found in a playground with a note stabbed through his heart, apologizing. You know, like I had all these fantasies, you know, getting rid of him. What I did do, because this boy didn't want to tell, is I phoned Crime Stoppers anonymously and said, I happen to know that this man is doing this. and you know, you should, you should, I don't know, watch him or something. (laughs) Um, That's amazing that you did that though. Like good for you to actually do something though. Cause you can't carry that around. That's actually very damaging just for you to carry around. Yeah. They did nothing, nothing happened. (laughs) happened. Uh, And and so I, for a little while, I, I stayed living with my father 
chasing any boy who might come around. And then I realized I couldn't live my life like that. Like that just wasn't, wasn't, I couldn't kill him. I couldn't protect everyone. And that I, although I was a holder of a secret, I had done everything I could. I had talked to the boy about telling, I had called crime spot stoppers. I couldn't. And then I realized that that's when I realized, wait a minute, I know who the pedophiles are and I know who the victims are. I know this, but there's nothing I can do with this. So I walked away from my family. I left. So I was, I dropped out of school at 15. I dropped out again at 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dropped out in, in Canada, what's grade 12. I was missing one credit, refused to go back, found out I could go take kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like um, GED, yeah, get it. Well, college courses, but uh-huh. not like in a program, you know, extracurricular kind of college courses. And in Canada, that actually landed up being good enough to get me into university. So I got into university. I left home for university. Yeah. And when I was done university, I I flew out of the province and never went back. Wow. So you haven't been back? No, I've never been back. They are not good for me. Yeah. Have you talked to either your mother or your father since then? Um, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Talked to my mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, I um. I looked after her when she got Alzheimer's. I was her her caregiver. She actually moved out here. And although we didn't resolve all of our issues. Which really doesn't happen very. You're no. lucky if you resolve your issues with your parents. Yeah. But we did we did come closer to some form of closure. Okay. And somewhat learned to appreciate each other. And I'm I'm grateful for that. Um I used to try to connect with my father a little bit, but um, one day he, I, I called him on, I guess it was his birthday and he screamed at me about, you know, I'm only calling to find out whether he's traveling to some country where he's going to abuse boy. Like, it was just so weird. He must've been very drunk. It was just so strange. And I thought, I can't do this. I just can't, I can't, yeah. I can't do it. And so I never called him again. Now he was caught. eventually. <laughs> oh my God. That was my next question. But one thing I have to before you get into this part that I'm dying to know. But when you kept trying to reconnect with him and then you realized you were self-abusing by connecting to your family of origin, it's the hardest thing, even if your parents are abusers, I've been in a position where that was apparent, but like breaking that connection and finally walking away, you feel guilt. You feel like a bad daughter. You feel like you've Mm -hmm. like generations of damage. Did you feel that too? Because they say like, you have to like be close to your blood, but it's like, no, you don't. You do not have to stick in a relationship that makes you feel bad or hurts you. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. 
So I have two questions. How do you love a father like that? And how do you stop loving your father? I know those are the questions. That's what I'm saying. Were those thoughts in your head when you finally broke that chain? Absolutely. Yeah. And I have children, so he would never, I would never let him near them. Right. So, right. Yeah. 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 Um, And I just, I I just want to jump back to something, if you don't mind, just for your audience, if you were held down and tickled, uh, like I was that uh, when I went to therapy, I was told that that is a form of sexual abuse. Oh, a hundred percent. I knew that. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Cause it is, especially when, you know, you're telling your, the person tickling you to stop and they don't, and they're finding enjoyment and you're not, it definitely is. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, because tickling is uh, an act of intimacy, right? So tickling mm-hmm. is something that, you know, parents can loving, lovingly do with children in an intimate setting, but it's also something that lovers do in, you know, as, as part of, of an intimate act. And so I just wanted to, yeah, put that out there. Cause I know there's some confusion people are, cause I say, you know, I always say I wasn't sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Technically that tickling was a form of sexual abuse. I wasn't abused at the same level the boys were. Yeah. And abuse looks, looks different in all forms. I mean, my husband and I tickle my son, but as soon as he says, stop, we stop. Like that is a rule in our house. Like it is. So I'm, thank you for clarifying. And, and if anybody has any more questions, they should reach out to you because you've, you know, been through it. So Absolutely. thank you for, for that. But let's go back to where he got caught. <laughs> he got caught. Yes. So apparently he was communicating online with pedophiles in England and the police had this huge sting and the Canadian and the UK police had this huge sting going on. And that's how he was caught. He was communicating about the act. uh, And they were, I believe, sending photographs back and forth, that kind of thing. So he was, he was caught and he was charged with, I believe it was uh, possession of porn, child porn, pornography. I yeah. believe that was the original charge. And then the police found out he was a teacher. So they took photographs, his, his like teacher photographs from, from all these years. And he, pla- they plastered them all over the, the newspapers and the news in Ontario. Good. <laughs> yeah. And a boy came forward. I should say a man came forward because yeah. at this point he was a man, but he was a boy. He was quite young when he was abused his name as far as I know has never been released but he came forward and they charged my father with uh, a sexual assault on a minor a charge that in Canada uh, never runs out right it's like there's some things that you know if you steal something 10 years later you can't be you which know. I know never understand in that statutory rape seven years I'm like no you rape somebody it doesn't matter if it's been seven years 20 years 30 years it counts thank you Canada like Ugh. Yeah. In Canada, uh, child sexual assault, there's no, there's no limit. limit. No. So my father was charged in 2012. Uh, so he yeah. was very old at the time, right? He was, he was in his, he was 80-ish around the time. <sighs> he was, yeah. He was 80-ish when he was actually found and, and charged. So this, this man who's now a full-grown man, who knows what his life is like, children, no children, grandchildren, even he was, you know, eight at the time. It was uh, done in, I think, the early 60s. Yeah. The, the assault, the timeline for the assault was in the early 60s. And this happened in 2012. So what is that? 40 years later? Yeah, at, at least. Yes. But the charge went through and, and he, he pled guilty. 
uh, bravo to that man, you know, for put, for putting out there because especially there's so much stigma and shame about being sexually assaulted and sexually molested, especially a young boy that this podcast has actually showed me how many young men actually get sexually assaulted. And we always talk about women. So uh, bravo to him because most of the time, nobody says anything. That was a brave act. I so agree. I, I, you know, the one thing I, there's a piece of me and I understand why his name was, is not given. I'm totally get it, but there's a piece of me that would love to thank him personally for right. being so brave and putting an end to that cycle abuse him going around and 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 putting more conflict and pain on other people exactly because my father's been doing this all these years and i and i know and there's nothing i could there's nothing i could do with that information and it was heartbreaking on a on a daily so how did you get through that pain of knowing his secret and get help and tell the boys don't go there and all that stuff how, how did you go through that grieving process? Cause that has to be very, very difficult as a daughter. Yeah. I think that it, it happened over time. Right. So I, 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 my first, my first response was to hurt him. My second response was to try to save all the boys. My, my third response was absolute exhaustion. I can't live like this. This can't be my life. I need to cut ties and leave. Mm-hmm. And when I cut ties, then I went through a grieving process, not only just with my father, but with his side of the family as well, right? Like, you know, just yeah. they, um, I don't know if they're afraid of him or what, but they continued to have contact with him and yeah, Christmases or whatnot. I, I don't know exactly what that looked like since I left. Well, I think people don't want to see that. You know what I mean? Unless they have the actual proof or see it with their own eyes, it's easier to deny than actually accept it. And I think people have a hard time, especially with this subject matter, seeing it. They don't want to see it because then they blame themselves too, for allowing it to happen. My experience, I could be totally wrong, you know, but yeah. I I don't know, but I know that, um, I think two of his nephews went to court to speak up for him. And one of them is the reason he didn't end up going to jail because he, they, his, there's this way that you can be a guardian. And the judge said, well, this man is so old. We won't put him in jail. He's on house arrest, but he needs someone to help him. And so I think it was one of my, and I don't know, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think it was one of my cousins, one of his nephews that, that took on that role for him. Wow. Um, so I don't really understand all of the details because I needed to walk away and not know. Uh, but I did get a phone call from a family member when he was arrested. And so I did follow through the news. I followed the, the trial and, and the outcome. But back to your question of what do you do? Yeah. You, you feel pain and you allow yourself to feel pain. And I felt a lot of shame. That was the hardest part was that shame. Just, you know, I, I, would, I started to tell people who are like really, 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 really trusted. Like really, really, really trusted. Yeah. Uh, and that was how I started just, and the more I spoke about it now, I just, I'll sit on your podcast and say, don't even need to be anonymous. Let's talk about it because somebody needs to be talking about this. So I've come to the point where I can, I can just talk about it, but it took many years of talking in private, talking to save people, um, leaving it behind and, and, and building a new life, right? Having my own children. I have two daughters, right? Having my own children and moving forward. So there's a piece of 
uh, feeling the pain and allowing the pain to move through you so it can leave. Mm-hmm. Talking about it in private and then in more public spaces as you as you leave that shame behind. Yeah, as you heal, then you're able to share it with everybody else because you're healed healed from it, and you do the work. Yeah, and then there's building the new story. Oh my god, you're giving me like goosebumps right now because I'm gonna ask you a really question that I think other people and parents, especially, I'm a I'm a parent to a young boy. And after doing this podcast, like I said, so many young and older men have told me about molestation. I've had more men come on my show and talk about it than women. And we know one out of every three women have been sexually assaulted. One out of six men have been sexually assaulted and molested. I think it's one out of three at this point. So if a parent is out there listening, how can a parent protect their child from that kind of situation, especially when it's usually someone close. Like for me, I'm just going to say, I don't believe in sleepovers or go away camps. Like that's not happening for my child. So how are you as a mother being in, in your, with your background, protecting your two daughters? So both of my girls have been to away camps and sleepovers Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. They've been to uh, school trips, uh, Mm -hmm. homestays even. Right. Uh, So both of my girls had all of those experiences. I think those are really important uh, childhood experiences. Sleep away camp sleepovers. And I didn't want to deny them that. And so instead of instead of insulating them from that, I taught them to speak up. I'll never forget when my I think my oldest was probably about three and we were out somewhere. I don't remember what she wanted to do, dash across the road or something. So I grabbed her and she stopped and she looked and said, I don't like how you're touching me don't touch me like that because I taught her those words and I thought, wait, you're not supposed to use them on me. (laughs) And then you're like, actually, bravo. You're right. I shouldn't touch you like that. Thank you, daughter. You know, (laughs) exactly. exactly. And then trying to explain to her, it's like, I'm sorry to grab you. You were going to run across the road and I want to keep you safe. Um, Another thing I did is we had a secret word. And so if anyone ever came to school and said, oh, your mom said I should pick you up. Uh, they that person would need to know the secret word in order to get them to leave with them. My That's good. my daughters were cheerleaders. Sometimes the moms or dads would say, "Oh, your parents not here. Well, I'll take you home." And my kids would say, "I'm sorry, I can't go with you. I'd have to call my mom first and get permission." So they never. I taught them never to get into somebody's car, no matter your best friend's dad or mom. You don't get into their car unless you call me and you tell me because as soon as an adult knows where you are, it reduces the risk. Yeah. And so I, I gave them, I gave them the skills. I gave them the skills to deal with bullies. I gave them the skills to speak up as my children got older and they wanted to, you know, like my kids went to uh, uh, French schools in Canada. And so they, they bust because it was a little further away sometimes. Yeah. Um, I taught them how to behave on a bus, what to deal with, how to deal with people. Uh, if they felt uncomfortable, they would call me. I'd meet them at the bus stop. Like, so we had all of these pieces in place mm-hmm. that uh, helped them be safe and uh, also allowed them to have the freedom that I believe is healthy for children to have that running out in the neighborhood playing and taking the bus and going to sleepovers and camps and whatnot yeah although they did always go to camps with friends that was that was something that you know you looked after each other and even now my daughters that are older now they're they're nightclub age and I say you go into a nightclub together you come out together yeah, you buy a new one. I don't care if it's a $20 drink. You know, there are all these rules that I've taught my kids to keep them safe. So unfair that we have to live by these rules. But, you know, I, I, I want them to have as much freedom as they can within us within 
safety. And girls should be allowed to dress how they want. Uh, yeah, get up to exactly. Off. You know, girls are supposed to be allowed to do all these things. It's not supposed to be unsafe. And yeah. so I'm yeah. trying to find ways for them to do that in a, in a, you know, super as safe as possible way. Well, I'm just so grateful you shared all those tips just as a parent myself. Hopefully I changed my mind about sleepover just with my experience and my addiction and hearing it every day. It's just for me, it's a no-go right now. Like it's just, I don't, I just wish I could change my mind, but I can't, but he's only, he's about to be four. So who knows, (laughs) but I do have those conversations and I've talked about like touching the private parts. No one's allowed to touch it. You say, no, you say, don't touch me like that. I have already had those conversations at two and three. And my husband was even like, he doesn't understand. Like he understands. He understands. We have to trust that he understands and we're protecting him and we're helping him. So I am so grateful. Is there any last thing you want to say before we wrap this up? Um, And so I guess the last thing I want to say is if you have a story, get it out, get it out in a safe place. Um, You know, if you want my full story, you can pick it up. It is my book is out now. The Devil's Daughter is the name of the book and it is out now. You can read it. And then if you want to connect with me, MelodyAnnOwen.com, use the contact page. Tell me your story. Uh, I'm I'm an excellent secret keeper, apparently. Um, And if just get it out. That's that's all I want to say is just get your story out in a safe place. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your truth and everything you've been through. I'm just eternally grateful to know you. So thank you for sharing this thing no one talks about. And thank you for having me. I really appreciated the time today. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.